You are listening to the DJI Podcast, a space to listen our online events, conversations and seminars, hosted by the Transitional Justice Institute. Uh, so thank you very much for signing up and uh, to the session on what is it like to do a PhD in law at Ulster University. And I always like to start these sessions uh, with uh, our PhD researchers, uh, who are the people obviously at the center of our PhD research environment and uh, very much part of the uh, intellectual engine that drives our work at the university. Uh, so the first half of the session, about 40-45 minutes, uh, will be a chance to hear from our PhD researchers, Rua Al-Tawil and Mial Harty, and then Leah Ray, who is just running a few minutes late. And they'll tell us just a bit about their research and their background, why they came to Ulster, why you should or might want to consider doing a PhD at Ulster University. And then we'll have a bit of time for any questions you may have for them. And then a bit later at about a quarter to three, uh, we'll have some of the staff join us uh, to talk about the different areas of research strength in the university and law, and to talk about the different funding opportunities that we have and uh, what we look out for in PhD research proposals. So that's the format. Um, I suppose we can then hand over to Rua to introduce herself and say a bit about P doing a PhD at Ulster. Yes, thank you, Rory. And hi, everyone. Um, I am Rua Altawil, originally from Syria, and I'm doing my uh, second year of PhD now at Transitional Justice Institute. I'm working on the nexus of forced displacement and gender discriminatory legal frameworks uh, in the context of Syria, particularly focusing on its impact on socioeconomic injustices. Um, this, this would include, for example, um, the land housing, property, education, health and employment. Um, so how did I end up here uh, or doing what I'm doing now and why um, at the Transitional Justice Institute? Uh, initially, I was I was at the time of the application, I was based in London, and initially I narrowed my research for universities in London. So uh, me coming across Transitional Justice Institute was kind of a coincidence, but happy one, and I'm really grateful for. Um, it's through the Ulster University's Doctoral College in Harborn, where like that directed me to the uh, university website, where I learned about Transitional Justice Institute. Um, so at that stage, I was interested in and really ready to pursue my PhD. I had my proposal ready, so I thought about everything. My proposal was coming from like um, a result of like multiple years of working in the context of Syria and exploring gender dynamics and um, the gender uh, experiences. So um, kind of like was informed by uh, lived experience and also professional experience. Um, um, when I came across the Transition Justice Institute, I realized it's, it's like I chose it because it's an important institute in transitional justice field with leading experts in the field. Um, the program that I applied for, Gender and Transitional Justice, was a great match for my proposal that I couldn't believe it at the time. So it was perfect match. 
Um, also, I like the multidisciplinary approach, uh, given that I don't have a legal background, um, but I was still interested in contributing to the scholarship around transitional justice and the conversation around meaningful transition anyways, and, and this le like legal frameworks. So, um, so this multidisciplinary approach um, allows me space uh, to be part of the institute and also uh, made it less intimidating to come into uh, like um, like a field that I wasn't um, I didn't have background in. So um, I think also another thing was that everything was in one place instead of having to apply for the program and the scholarship separately, which was like the case in other universities. You you submit one application and then and indicate your wish to be considered for scholarship. Um, the other thing was um, it, during the application time was quick responses and human touch and communication because um, I came to learn, uh, I'm not from the UK, uh, so I came to learn that there are different systems uh, for application and different universities. And some of these you need to identify a supervisor and agree with them on proposal before submitting uh, the application. So I thought that was the case um, at Ulster University, so I contacted a professor who kindly clarified that that wasn't the case and also gave me helpful comments on my to improve my proposal. So I thought, uh, in comparison to other cor correspondence that I had at that time, um, this was very quick and helpful. Um, elsewhere, I was redirected to uh, main websites where I had to start the search over uh, myself. It wasn't very easy for me to always navigate some of the websites and. Um, and sometimes I didn't even get um, a response. So uh, communication, I think, is really uh, important because time in in the period of the application is also a very important factor. Um, some of the benefits that I got after joining um, would be a sense of being part of this community of academics who share values um, and working for similar cause, um, justice in different contexts in the world. Um, the supervisory team uh, that um, um, I'm like I'm working with, um, I, I think I like the fact that um, like I'm being challenged, but without uh, having tension or uh, making me feel less or anything like this. So it's done um, in in a very constructive way. Uh, everyone I've met so far at uni, whether at the doctor college, at the library, um, at the well-being center. Uh, was very supportive and warm, uh, and we tend to underestimate the importance of warmth and compassion in professional communication, but I think that's one thing I value a lot. So um, these are some of the points. I, I think like we can discuss more with the Q&A. I just wanted to highlight this to start with. Thanks. Thank you, Rua. So we'll hear from Michal and then Leah, and then we'll go to Q&A. So Michal. Uh, yep, thanks, Oli. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Michal. I'm in what's hoping to be my last year. Uh, my project is based on the memorialization of uh, what's termed non combatants in NI. So, looking at the memory making process and stuff like this. Uh, in terms of uh, why UU, it was really down to two reasons. Uh, the first is that uh, those the academic staff uh, fit the project profile uh, particularly well, and I could learn uh, well. Uh, I could learn a lot and develop from a scholar within uh, the UU and the TTI. 
Uh, the second is that my brother completed a PhD at the TCA and he highly recommended uh, the TCA as an institute and UU as a university. Uh, in terms of recommend, uh, why I would recommend also, uh, I think it was all real sentiment about the peer support you get uh, at UU. Uh, in the TCA, there's a good community uh, support, uh, state food. So even if you're on Tordio, you get uh, Tordios interact with first years, second years interact. It's all uh, mixed and supportive. Uh, and then there's a wider support network within the Dackle Collars and the Humanities and Arts Humanities and Social Sciences, there's support network still. Uh, but uh, there's also great support for post-PSD uh, provided by the institution. So talks about exploring uh, early career development in academia and trying to get your head around and understand moves post-PSD, which I find really helpful, uh, especially as I near the end of the PSD process. Thanks, Mel. Um, so, Leah, your turn. Thank you, Rory, and hi, everyone. So, my name is Leah, and similar to Michal, I am also in the final year of my PhD at the TJI Stroke School of Law of Ulster University. Um, I won't bore you with the full title of my PhD, but essentially, I'm looking at um, the relationship between constitutional conventions established by devolution and the progression of human rights standards in Northern Ireland and I suppose to answer the question of why did I apply to Ulster University when I was completing my second master's at Queen's University in Belfast I was interested in the idea of pursuing further study and I realized that um, to undertake a PhD is obviously quite a significant journey and it's really important that you have the appropriate supports in place be that your supervisory team the wider senior staff at an institute and also just having supports in place to help you become the best researcher that's possible. And that primarily comes from being in a place which specializes in your research interests that you hope to pursue in this project. So when I was completing my master's, I started researching um, the staff that were in place at Queen's because I knew the university, but I also started to research the staff that were in place in TJI at Ulster. And I soon realized that in terms of the research interests, the expertise that was available at Ulster was just perfect for what I was trying to pursue around human rights progression, but in the devolved context and wider constitutional arrangements in the United Kingdom. And it's quite funny for me, I've joked with my supervisory team about this, but when I was researching the staff that were available at TJI and I came across my supervisor team, Dr. Anne Smith and Dr. Mark Simpson, I remember thinking to myself, they would be fantastic supervisors for me because of the research interests that they have and what they've published on to date. And what I also really appreciated with TJI was the fact that they run the annual uh, competition for studentships and funding positions. As Rhea has talked about, what is so unique about Ulster that I can see is that the firstly, the application is very straightforward and there's a lot of advice given around that. But secondly, um, the application for scholarship support is combined within that process and that therefore means you can focus much more on your research proposal. The application for a scholarship doesn't detract from your focus um, and that should be the main focus obviously of your application. 
the process is also very well clearly documented. I knew that I would have to, um, what I had to put in by way of documentation, but also what to expect for the interview. And what I really appreciated as well was that compared to um, friends that I have who've also undergone through the process, the interview was also just a very um, interesting discussion. I found it much more focused around um, my research proposal, what I myself was interested in, and we had a really good theoretical discussion and I instantly felt that this was the atmosphere and the learning environment that would be best fit for me and I would be able to undertake a project within this environment. And then of course the allocation of the supervisory team, I actually did get my supervisory team that I had hoped for, um, which worked out very well. And I think the support structure that's been placed for me for the last two and a half years has been exemplary. And you're also encouraged within TJI to um, make the most of other opportunities that are available. It's an excellent institution for flagging up conferences, workshops, but also support for researchers who are interested in pursuing that. Um, I know there are different staff I could contact if I were interested in um, applying for a conference or to prepare an abstract, for example, or in preparing a conference paper. It's a place where um, I think staff are very open about sharing their experiences and supporting the next generation of researchers coming through. And that's really important in this type of journey, particularly as Michal has said, if you're not quite too sure what you want to do post PhD life, you know that there's supervisors around and other staff around to support and advise you in that. Um, whilst you can also focus on your research, I think it's, it's exemplary. And then just in wider benefits, I know it's been alluded to, but at Ulster in particular, the doctoral college is exemplary in the support structure it can provide, be that through a whole variety of training programs and also opportunities to pursue representative roles. Um, if that's something that you're interested in as well, being more active in campus life in that researcher representative capacity, it is available to you as well. And then I suppose just lastly, um, the socialization aspect. I know we've all struggled with that in recent years because of COVID, but um, there definitely is a very strong researcher community at Ulster, be that through the doctoral college more widely and also in the School of Law. And there'll be different events organized throughout the year, be it more practical around training, um, conference presentations, interview skills, for example, but also just more social. You can have different talks of experts coming in to give it their professional experience. Um, so it's been a really beneficial opportunity for me. And I think it's because it's so well-rounded from your research um, to be undertaken, quieter um, skills-based support that's available to you, including teaching opportunities, but also just feeling that you're part of a community and um, that you're valued as a member of that community as well. Well, thank you very much, Leah and Rua and Nihal, um, for kicking us off this afternoon. A great start. And so uh, we want to give our participants then a chance to ask our PhD researchers any questions they may have about um, the process or why they want to do a PhD or things to think about before embarking on uh, this quite important project. Uh, so if anyone has a question or an observation, uh, feel free to turn on your microphone camera as well, if you like, uh, bearing in mind we are recording, and ask the question. Or put it in the chat box if you can't uh, put on your mic for some reason. Uh, Saul, you have a question. Uh, yeah, thanks, Rory. And <clears throat> thanks to the uh, PhD researchers who have uh, given a very uh, useful 
summary of what they what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, is it possible for one or more of you to speak to the differences between the application process um, for the other funded PhDs um, or PhD programs like Nine and Northern Bridge? Uh, just uh, some sort of idea of comparison and also from your own experience if you did proceed along those routes as well um you know why how that worked why you didn't if you didn't etc so just some sort of idea on comparison and um between or among those funded programs and i'll start of course yeah. Um, so, Sol, I think we're going to be talking more about that in the second half of the session when we'll have uh, Professor Karen Fleming, who's the Ulster Director of Northern Bridge, coming along. And so in relation to the Northern Bridge and the um, nine DTPs, uh, I think uh, most of that we can talk about later, if you don't mind. I, I don't think... Ruhr, Michal, or Leah, any of you were involved in the DTPs, so probably okay. you may not um, want to comment on that. I mean, is there anything else you want to comment on in relation to Saul's question? Are you happy for us to take it up uh, when we have Karen uh, around later? Okay. Uh, so, Sol, if you don't mind, uh, you may have other That's questions fine. for them, but that is something we will talk about a bit later. Uh, and then we have a question from Noemi. Is that right? Or... It's uh, yeah, Naomi. It's fine as well. Uh, hi, I am currently like on placement, and I'm doing law on Maggie campus with Ulster University, and. I am thinking about doing PhD, but I'm also conflicted if I want to actually go qualified and be a solicitor. So I'm sorry if I missed that part of any of you talking about this previously, but I had like difficulty with connection here. But while you was like uh, thinking about um, kind of, you know, doing both, <laughs> you know, if like doing PhD and getting qualified in the same kind of time, or do you think about getting qualified on any point or just you want to go strictly academic? Thank you very much. Um, any of our PhD researchers want to talk about that? And, and it does raise an interesting question because those are quite big choices to have to make. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's right. Because I, yeah, because now I'm doing actually I am on placement with PSNI in their corporate mm -hmm. information branch. So and I'm just like thinking about like what I actually want to do after graduation, you know, and um, obviously like the standard route is or go qualified as solicitor or like going uh, to the bar. But then I was thinking like, I think so maybe academic will be more uh, better job for me, especially now with my job on placement is involve a lot of research. So I was just like wonder if you, what was your thinking if you uh, was over ever thinking about getting qualified? Or just like you was thinking of strictly to academic. Okay, well, why don't we put that to our PhD researchers and uh, you know maybe think about why did you want to do a PhD and what are your career plans afterwards? Um, because I don't know if any of you were dealing with the question that Naomi had to deal with. 
but you know, tell us a bit more about why you wanted to do a PhD and what you're hoping to do afterwards. And maybe that will help Naomi think through the decisions she has to make. Rua, do you want to start? I was still thinking about that. Uh, it's a very good question. I think uh, for me, um, um, I was at the stage where I, um, I've done some work. So I come from professional background uh, and I started my PhD at the age of um, 34. So basically, I think um, I think I was ready to uh, take the knowledge and the expertise that I've accumulated uh, working in the field and try to um, uh, to develop it and build on the scholarship uh, in the field. So in that sense, I would I would say that um, I don't see these two things as separate, but like rather than um, extension to each other's and uh, continuing continuous um, kind of efforts into. Um, I am interested in academia. I think of myself as uh, a researcher. So, um, and I see of myself, like myself as such, um, even before I pursue my uh, PhD, I was involved in research uh, work. So um, I guess this is part of why I um, pursue uh, my academic uh, career. Um, I don't know yet what my plans are after the PhD, but I, I definitely see myself as part of the academia, um, working um, with theories and uh, with trying to build up on the scholarship. Um, that's connected more or less to the field as well, because this is one thing that I try to do all, all the time, it's like how to uh, have a dynamic relationship between activism and grassroots and the field, as well with, uh, with the scholarship and academia, if that makes sense. I hope I answered your question. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much, Rua. Nihal, you want to? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't really speak directly to a choice between becoming a qualified solicitor and going to academia because I don't come from a lower background, but uh, I was kind of faced with a similar uh, decision. In the run up to uh, kind of PhD, I had offers to work for accounting firms and stuff like this, more uh, industry uh, based clubs. Uh, but once the PhD offer came in, I kind of jumped on it uh, because I generally just enjoyed resourcing and it's something that I feel I'd be more passionate about. And it was kind of, yeah, it's kind of saying that uh, find the club you love and you don't work a day in your life. Kind of uh, same. Uh, my advice would be maybe do a dissertation, and if you enjoy your dissertation, then the PhD would probably be, uh, would probably speak to you more. <clears throat> would probably be more natural for you because uh, that's probably more, uh, more, uh, more like the work that you'd be doing on a PhD would be just independent resourcing, reading theory itself, uh, going to class. So maybe. Uh, if you enjoy your dissertation, uh, I maybe uh, maybe lean towards more academia. Yes, thank you, Michael. It's actually um, obviously I'm before dissertation, but while I'm doing essays or problem questions now on my course, I'm very enjoying like actually researching and like spending time in the library. So that's why it was like thanking me. Like, okay, if you're enjoying like writing something about like some subjects, maybe you actually like 
be better for swimming to the academia than actually go with the original plan to be solicitor. So I am very conflicted in that, but thank you. Leah, what about you? Um, Naomi, I hear your question so well, because, and it resonates with me because when I was between my, <clears throat> I, under, I studied law as an undergrad degree, and when I was between my undergrad degree and my first master's, I was in a similar predicament to yourself where I wasn't quite too sure what I wanted to use my law degree for and, and my research skills for. And long story short, I ultimately took a variety of jobs that were research-based in, in different offices. And I realized that I was much more gauged towards understanding policy frameworks and legislative frameworks and legislative proce processes. I joked to my friends, I have a number of friends who work in the fields of law pardon me and I would frequently joke to them that I prefer to know how laws are made than how they are applied necessarily in a court of law like I like to analyze that but I wouldn't want to be the one arguing how it should be applied I want to be the one who understands how it needs to be changed in a process and the proce uh, procedure base so I suppose my thing to you would be Think about what your areas of strengths are or what your research interests would be and take your time because the qualification route for depending on what jurisdiction obviously you wish to practice in can be quite time consuming and it can be quite um, expensive as well. Um, Ehal has talked about, you know, undertake a dissertation. You've said that that's what you're interested in, research areas that you're interested in. That's how I find what I would like to do. And I know with undertaking a PhD, for me, the ultimate end goal would be probably to work in policy and policy design, because I know that's what I'm interested in. I want to formulate responses um, and address gaps in legislation or policy that currently exists. I don't necessarily want to practice that. And that was a process for me. And that's something that I found through different areas of employment and also through undertaking the PhD itself. So it's absolutely a journey and feel free to take your time to discover that in your own pace and at your own your own time. And also if you're, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a scholarship for this PhD, which has allowed me to do that. And I realize that I have the fortune to have that. Um, but understand what your interest could be in and what your skill set is. And that can absolutely set you on your way. And that, like I said, is what's happened with me with my employment history to date. And um, now as I undertake the PhD and the more I discover in my area of research as well, makes me realize, yes, there's definitely issues. And I would love to focus on further research in that field and also maybe ultimately policymaking um, off the back of that as well. Thank you very much, Leah. This is very helpful what you're saying. Yeah, I am like, where we was talking in class about laws, what was made, for example, in the 18th century, I also like find interesting how they like change the time and progress and how they like work at now. So I, I totally understand this interest. And yeah, um, thank you very much. Anyway, thank you all of you for your answers. It's, I much appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, and very, very interesting to get that more rounded picture of um, why you're doing what you're doing and where you hope to be going, all of you. Uh, and that also feeds into some of the questions from SB in the chat box there. Uh, so there's two questions. One, is it possible to transfer from part-time to full-time? And two, could I get a job at a law firm during the PhD journey? Uh, so, I mean, I'll, we'll talk a bit more about that later, but we do offer... Um, so for different... Well, if you are self-funded, so if you're paying for your PhD yourself, you can do that either full-time or part-time. Um, 
if you are going for one of the DTP stu uh, studentships, it is possible to do those part-time. Um, at the moment, uh, as far as I know, it's not possible to apply to do an Ulster studentship part-time. Um, but if there are equal opportunities, reasons, reasonable accommodation requests that arise during the course of a PhD, it may be possible to request permission to transfer to a part-time basis. Could you get a job at a law firm during the PhD journey? If you're doing a PhD part-time, uh, I think, I'm sure Rua, Michal, Leah, you'd agree this is, uh, doing a PhD full-time is a full-time 40, 50 hour a week, maybe more um, occupation in effect. So you certainly couldn't do those and it would be prohibited by the terms and conditions, um, both full-time. I mean, if you were doing a PhD part-time, uh, then yes, you could of course take up other employment outside of the PhD. Uh, and some people do uh, switch to a PhD part-time um, in order to facilitate that. Okay. Any other questions for our PhD researchers while we have them with us? What's the most exciting or interesting thing you've had occasion to do during your PhD? Well, just maybe we'll start with Leah this time and mix it up. Oh, that, that's, that's a tough one, Rory. Um, and I suppose there, there are two things I would have to say, because I can never just narrow it down to one and for different reasons. Firstly, one of the most exciting things, um, because of the fact it was the transition back to campus, was helping out with the um, festival of PhD research um, when it was based at Belfast campus in May this year. And to have the opportunity to volunteer with the doctoral college to help arrange the, the facilities in the Belfast campus, but also having the opportunity to chair a panel as well as a present at a panel um, was, was really exciting for me just to see the wider body of research that's undergoing, the, the extent of the community that's present at the Belfast campus and to hear everyone else's research that was underway, plus get feedback and questions put to me from my presentation, I really, really enjoyed. And I suppose on top of that, um, oh goodness, it's, it's just really hard to pick off the top of my head, but um, I think also having the opportunity to, to teach, um, to help out as a teaching assistant, simply because for a start, you get to live on the other side of the classroom and turn the tables on, on students um, and have throwback memories to your undergrad and postgrad days. But there's just something really nice about perhaps if you're studying theory or you're writing something to do with theory for your own research to then be put into a classroom environment where you get to teach that theory or you get to teach that subject to other students because I think it also helps you understand your area a bit more but it's very nice to know that you can help cultivate other learning interests and that um, I think helps you see academic uh, journeys in a greater context and that um, how you support other people in their learning doesn't just support you but it can also start a new community of researchers coming through. So it sounds a bit cliched, but for me, that's been something I've really enjoyed doing. It's also been quite exciting just to see, you know, to get the feedback from other students and be part of that community, but also helping out with the doctoral college with the, the festival. I've, I've really enjoyed. And hopefully we'll be able to do so again next year, but we'll see time commitments providing. Um, and I think, Leah, that 
Thank you for that. I think you're also being modest and not mentioning, if I remember correctly, you won a prize for your presentation at the festival. Uh, so congratulations again on that. Uh, we're always glad when one of ours um, secures recognition for their wonderful work. Um, Michal, same question for you. What's the most exciting or interesting thing you've had occasion to do during your PhD? Uh, yeah, today I've probably had to go with teaching same as Leo. I think it's yes, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting because you you kind of like just create an output as in you think of how you can communicate ideas to to people and it. I I kind of start it on I guess leave it to a Friday because it's quite a nice thing to do to think of how uh, to break down concepts and how to activities to show people uh, to explain concepts. And you can see sometimes by the facial expression how you've uh, helped people's critical analysis uh, in that moment. And then plus when you go to essays and you see the points are like, oh, like, they've actually listened to me. It's quite a, it's quite nice. Uh, but I think the most uh, exciting thing I'd be looking for in the coming months is helping out with the uh, SLSA conference in McGee. I think it's going to be interesting in uh, this massive conference and being a part of organizing it. And uh, again, it's, uh, the conference being in person again, it's, yeah, it's something I'm really looking forward to in the coming, coming months. Can you say a bit more about what SLSA is, Michal? Uh, I suppose not everyone will know what that is. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the Social Legal uh, Studies Association. It's a massive uh, association based on social legal studies. Uh, it's, I believe, the, the second biggest conf uh, conference in the UK. Uh, people come from all universities all around the UK come to it. Uh, there's massive streams. Uh, there's also a post-crossing resource uh sessions and get-togethers so you get to meet other PSD students from all around the UK and maybe even from Ireland uh yeah it's just a massive uh uh conference yes thank you Michal uh so uh, as you say Ulster is hosting this in our McGee campus in Derry Londonderry um I think this is only the second time SLSA has come to Northern Ireland uh, so we're very pleased to have that opportunity. Uh, so, Rua, exciting and interesting thing you've done during your PhD journey. Well, I think the highlight would be, I have few actually, but the highlight would be like uh, being part of the coordination team of What's the Crack? So What's the Crack is an informal um, uh, seminar series that we uh, PhD students kind of like um, coordinate and arrange um, and share. And um, as someone who is maybe um, more like leaning into the introversion um, uh, side and like like to do stuff on their own uh, behind the desk, um, it was um, like really a good opportunity for me to uh, be part of a very supportive team to start with, but also to uh, to take active role into uh, coordinating seminar, uh, coordinating seminars, uh, communicating with um, experts and professors uh, at the TGI, and also PhD researchers because we had the opportunity to also share our research and discuss it, um, uh, and sharing the sessions. Um, uh, so it helps on so many different uh, levels, and um, uh, 
um, I find it very, very interesting like to be part of it. Also, there is the FCT, FST, which is the first steps to teaching. So I'm also grateful because I got this opportunity in my second year. Uh, so it is like uh, very soon that we are um, undertaking these trainings to be ready to uh, for teaching and to, um, uh, to uh, get the qualifications uh, necessary. Um, being part of different networks, whether like it is re directly related to uh, our research or like an aspect of our research that was facilitated differently uh, through TGI and through uh, being uh, part of Alistair University. So these are um, three examples that are came to my top of my head, but I'm sure there are many others. Thank you, Rua. Um... So we have time for one last question for our researchers, if any of you have any more. And well, in that case, Ebiru and Michal, Leah, do you have any last words for potential applicants to for a PhD at Ulster? I suppose for me, um, key piece of advice would be take the time to prepare your application. It's not something that can be rushed whenever you're asked to write a research proposal. Obviously, there are key sections. I mean, all sections are key, but how you outline your, your research aims, your methods, your theory, the context, it will take time. And I would also urge um, <clears throat> for anybody who's interested in this, to reach out and contact staff. Um, the staff are more than happy to discuss potential research proposals and answer any questions that you might have. And it's really beneficial to hear from their insight and their advice in the process. Um, to make sure that you have all the documentation, you will have to also submit a cover letter as well as um, other transcripts and so on. And that can take time to prepare as well and to make sure you have that in advance. And I suppose then if you're shortlisted for interview, Go along and be yourself. Um, I think sometimes there's a tendency to assume that, um, you know, maybe particularly from a Northern Irish context, to be self-deprecating and, and not think that you're able to do something like this. If you've been shortlisted for interview, obviously the, the team believe that, the panel believe that you have the skills and capabilities and you also have an interesting proposal. So just be prepared to go along to, to talk on that proposal and to turn it like I did into a conversation and you're much more relaxed and I think it showcases you at your best as well as demonstrating your own real genuine interest in your in your subject matter and your proposed subject expertise so ensure that you plan thoroughly for the process and um, prepare when you can and then if you are accepted you will hit the ground running in, in September and also be prepared to have to constantly revisit that research proposal. I think, um, I'm not too sure what Rui and Michal would think, but I think maybe initially in the first couple of months, there's a tendency to consider your research proposal as your baby and you think it's perfect and doesn't need to change. It absolutely, absolutely has to change and it will change naturally with your supervisory team support and, and as you to undertake all the, the research, particularly in your, your first and your second year. Thank you, Leah. Um... Rua or Michal, any last word? Um, I I think Leah kind of summarized uh, very well like the advice, um, um, like that 
um, I would have given as well. But just to say that um, a year and, and a half in uh, my PhD, and I am like more and more convinced that I made the right decision in joining TGI and Ulster University. And I hope that you uh, and I hope that you find it as the place for you as well. And um, as Leia said, if you needed any help and support, please contact staff members and also um, don't hesitate to, to reach out even for PhD students and researchers as well. Um, Thank you, Ra. Uh, Neil, last one. Uh, yeah, I think uh, like every piece of work, the most important thing is feedback. Uh, so get in contact with someone, ask them to read it. There might be constructive input to enhance it and improve it. Uh, the same as real, I think, uh, as you gradually move on to the PSD, you do realize that it is a completely, you made a complete right decision. Uh, and yeah, it's a highly enjoyable uh, experience and a highly interesting one uh, to see them at the same time. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Miao, Rua, Leah. That was really um, great. Uh, oh, sorry, I do see there is a question in from SB. Is there a general project in the law section that allows studying as part of the project? Uh, so, uh, SB, and maybe we can come back to that later. I, I, I'm not entirely sure I understand the question. Um, so maybe we can take it up uh, in the latter part of the webinar. Um, and if you can just think, is there another way to just explain what you're asking? I'm not entirely sure uh, what the right answer to that would be. Uh, we are going to be joined by some of my colleagues. I see Karen Fleming and Gronya McKeever have already signed in and Kath Collins. Uh, so welcome to them. Um, I'm going to suggest we can say goodbye to Rua, Mial, and Leah, and thank you very much for that discussion. It was really great to hear you. And maybe if we could take a two-minute break uh, and then come back and hear from myself and my colleagues more about the PhD process. Is that okay with everyone? Yeah. Well, and I'll see you in a couple of minutes. Hi all, welcome back. Um, you can see my PowerPoint, I take it. Sol, can you see the PowerPoint there? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you very much and welcome back. So in the second half of the session, uh, we're going to hear from myself a bit and some of my colleagues. So I'm joined by um, Professor Karen Fleming, who is in charge of the Northern Bridge DTP. Uh, Professor Grania McKeever, Professor of Law and Social Justice, um, Co-Director of the Ulster University Law Clinic, uh, Professor Siobhan Wills, uh, Professor of, Inter of Law and Director of the Transitional Justice Institute, and also Professor Kath Collins, who is one of our PhD coordinators and who works alongside me in my role as Research Director. Uh, so 
we will each um, have a bit to say just about the PhD opportunities and processes and different areas of strengths uh, that you might be interested in. And then uh, we will try to have some more time for any Q&A uh, before we finish up at uh, 3.30. So to talk a little bit then about doctor research in law, and what is a PhD? What are the processes and opportunities? Why, um, why come to Ulster and talk a little bit about, now here I'll hand over hopefully to Kath, uh, talk about PhD proposals, because we all have gathered from what uh, Leah and her colleagues are saying at the end, uh, the PhD proposal is a very important part of the process. Uh, and the PhD is, as we were saying earlier, uh, a very big, commitment. Uh, it is a, a three-year, often four-year full-time commitment uh, and is longer, typically six years or maybe a bit longer if you are going down the PhD route. It, it does involve writing a substantial 80 to 100,000 word thesis uh, that aims to make an original contribution to human knowledge, so telling us something new and significant um, and people do PhDs for different reasons. Uh, this is why it was interesting to hear from our PhD researchers earlier about why they wanted to do a PhD. And I think it's important to reflect on for people um, like uh, Naomi, who was uh, explaining what kind of career options she was thinking about. Uh, there's different reasons to do a PhD. One reason is that the intellectual satisfaction that is involved in doing your own research, designing your own project, saying something that is new, uh, something that is significant, um, and something that adds to the sum total of human knowledge in uh, a rigorous manner. Uh, and there's a great deal of satisfaction involved in that. Other people are indeed the same people will also derive satisfaction, see a reason for doing a PhD in the hope and expectation that through the research, the research can make a contribution to knowledge and to society. Uh, so as you'll have gathered from the descriptions of the research projects our researchers talked about, um, many of them are very much concerned with the particular social, political, legal problem, uh, and what research can tell us about dealing with that problem. Uh, so there is uh, certainly an ambition to be of practical relevance to society, as well as contributing to uh, knowledge. A PhD may also be relevant, depending on what you're thinking of doing, in terms of career development. Uh, so Certainly, if people are thinking about an academic career um, in many jurisdictions, including this one, a PhD is uh, fairly important in terms of developing an academic career. Uh, it, other career pathways are certainly possible because one of the things that a PhD does is that uh, it includes quite a lot of transferable skills. Uh, so transferable research skills, presentation skills, uh, communication skills uh, that can be uh, very relevant and useful outside of academia, uh, certainly in relation to 
research in other areas, be it in civil society or in the public sector, um, are with international organizations. We have a, a number of different opportunities to do PhDs at Ulster. All of them are detailed on our Doctoral College Find a PhD website. Uh, we divide opportunities into self-funded opportunities and funded studentships. So self-funded PhDs mean that you uh, pay for them yourself. Uh, or you may have some source of funding external to the university, some sponsor external to the university uh, that will pay for you. But essentially, the idea is you pay for these PhD costs yourself. Uh, and if you are going down the self-funded route, two significant features about that are that you can apply at any time of year. Uh, so whereas the funded studentships all have set deadlines, and so we consider them at set points during the year, uh, if you want to consider a self-funded PhD, you can apply uh, whenever you are ready to do so. And with self-funded PhDs, you can also apply to do them full-time or part-time. Um, so that also, of course, makes it more viable, uh, both economically and in terms of time, if you do have uh, another job. Um, and as we talked about a bit earlier, it'd certainly be ill-advised to try and do a full-time PhD and a full-time or even a part-time job on top of a full-time PhD. So we have a few different funded studentships. Uh, we have the Ulster competition, the Ulster studentship competition, uh, and this includes uh, DFE, Department for the Economy, studentships, and BCRS, uh, Vice Chancellor's Research Studentships. Um, key difference for these is that DFE studentships, uh, due to residence requirements, are typically for home applicants, whereas BCRS, I think they may now have been rebranded BCRB, uh, BCRS studentships are open to international applicants. Um, they're usually advertised in December. We've actually moved that forward a bit. We opened the studentship competition on the 30th of November uh, with a deadline in February. Uh, so uh, the deadline for all of the Ulster main studentship competitions are in February. And then as part of that, we will have an interview um, for shortlisted applicants uh, in April. The entry criteria for the Ulster studentships includes that you have or should have uh, expect to obtain a first or second class degree in a relevant subject. Uh, there is some flexibility uh, about those criteria uh, depending on particular circumstances. But it's crucial to know that when we're looking at those studentship applications, and we applied the same criteria to self-funded applications. We are looking at your academic performance, so certainly we're interested in the quality of your degree and other relevant experience. Your research proposal and the fit with supervisors. So those are the three things that we mainly look at when assessing studentship applications under the Ulster competition um, or for self-funded applications. Uh, and the research proposal is 
particularly important because in a sense, there's not much you can do about your qualifications. They are what they are. Um, the fit with your supervisors, again, the supervisors are the people we have on our staff. You can't do much about those. Uh, but what you can do uh, a lot with, of course, is your research proposal. Um, this is really where you can uh, make sure that you uh, can put forward a strong proposal that will interest potential supervisors and that will reassure the panel uh, that you have a viable proposal that can be done in the requisite time frame. Uh, so that's why we'll say a bit more um, about the research proposal later in this presentation. But do think about the supervisors, uh, because when you do a PhD, your most important professional relationship is with your supervisors. So think about who do you want to work with uh, for the next three years or six years, if you're thinking about doing the PhD part-time. Uh, do a bit of research on your supervisors or potential supervisors. See especially who is publishing on your topic or in areas closely related to your topic. Um, uh, so the people who will be most likely to be engaged with the subject matter of your topic, be familiar with the up-to-date literature, and they'll have the resources and networks to help guide you uh, through the project. Uh, you do also may want to think about things like uh, availability of supervisors. Um, it may be the case, of course, that some people have big research grants and lots of publications, uh, but perhaps for that reason already have uh, quite a lot of PhD research students to supervise. Um, and so my grandson just made a guest appearance, so he, though he was told not to, but <laughs> anyway, uh, Joshua says hello, everyone. Uh, so um, it may well be the case that uh, big names uh, won't be able to supervise a project because they're already overcommitted. Do feel free to contact potential supervisors and get advice on your research proposal. Uh, I mean, it may be that as potential supervisors for different reasons will feel they can't comment on a particular proposal, uh, but if they do see that there is something of merit in the proposal that they would want to be involved in supervising, then uh, they're certainly free to offer advice on your proposal. And as one of our supervisors was saying um, earlier, it's really valuable to get feedback on all, any work, uh, but especially a PhD research proposal. Uh, and then just as I already mentioned, for our self-funded applicants and for people looking at the main Ulster studentships, the DFE and the VCRS, our VCRB now, uh, there is an interview as part of that process for shortlisted applicants. As well as those opportunities, we are part of two um, Research Council UK funded doctoral training partnerships or DTPs, uh, one of which is the nine Northern Ireland Northeast ESRC DTP partnership, and the other is Northern Bridge Consortium AHRC Arts Humanities Research Council GTP scholarships, which involve universities in uh, here in Northern Ireland and in the Northeast of England. 
These have earlier deadlines than the DFE and VCRS awards, and they are extremely competitive. Uh, so I'm particularly pleased that Professor Karen Fleming is able to join us and say a bit about one of these DTPs, uh, the Northern Bridge Consortium. So Karen, over to you. Karen, we can't hear you. Well, I can't hear you. Um, you're not, yeah, I, I don't know what the issue is, Karen. It's not at our end, as far as I can tell. Karen, maybe I'll just continue and if you can see if you can note well if you can't get it sorted don't worry but if you can just jump in and let us know at any point um and so uh, we do have as i say the hrc uh, northern bridge uh, and you know all of the details are on that point point there uh, and especially note again that the deadline is much earlier than for the um Ulster DFE and VCRS competition uh, and that it is a multi-stage process so uh, you have to apply to Ulster first and then uh, if you make it through that stage there is a submission to the consortium uh, and as part of that you need to work with um your supervisors uh, can you hear me Yes, Karen. Oh, Great. Uh, I was no doubt making. A... Oh, you're breaking up a bit, Karen. I'm sorry. I rejoined on my iPad, so maybe that's okay. Better. Um, so yeah, I'm really pleased to have this chance to talk to you all. Um, Northern Bridge is one of two DTPs that we have, and they're both across the same consortium of universities. Um, Northern Bridge is for arts and humanities subjects. It's funded by the HRC, and Nine is for social sciences. So although you can apply to both and you should also, I always say, always apply to the other Ulster opportunities as well, you should customise your application to the place that you're applying to. So one of the differences with Northern Bridge is that you write the project rather than us advertising a project for you to apply to. So you need to, uh, in discussion usually with supervisors, you, you develop your own project um, and we're very open to that, including interdisciplinary methods or including creative practice methods that might not be so relevant in law, but you would be surprised sometimes at what people bring to a PhD studentship application that's outside of their you know, title on their undergraduate degree. Um, so we have standard and collaborative doctoral awards for studentships. A standard award is what it sounds like. You apply with a project, you get a little bit more funding with uh, Northern Bridge studentships, you get three and a half years of stipend and fees and then you also have an option for another up to six months of stipend and fees for a placement that uh, you apply to have it approved but uh, we, we, we rarely turn them down if they look feasible and the placement can be very important because it can include training or personal development that is not so relevant to your PhD it is not another six months of time working on your PhD it's six months to go and do something else 
to develop you. So you could be working in a completely different environment, adding to your employability or to your development for after the PhD. Um, and that can be funded. It can be in more than one place. So typically um, students would look for somewhere local for the bulk of that six months, and then they might have a shorter period of international placement. Um, we, we probably couldn't afford for you to be in a lovely apartment in New York for six months, but we certainly have funded researchers to be overseas for two or three weeks of placement. So the deadline is, is, is looming. Um, it's the start of January and you apply initially to Ulster University in the normal Ulster University system and you flag that it's the Northern Bridge studentship you want to apply to. And then we write, uh, we, we filter those to make sure that anything we're forwarding is a feasible and viable project but we don't expect it to be absolutely perfect at that point when you apply on the 10th of January, because you then have about a month to write a nomination form with your supervisors. Um, and there's some extra bits of information that are needed in that application process that your supervisors would also help you with. So you can see the criteria include not just assessing the proposal, but also assessing you as an applicant, including things that you may bring to the project um, that may reflect on equality and diversity or on other experience outside of your undergraduate qualifications and your master's qualifications. It's, it's very difficult, I think, to get through a very competitive process without a master's, but it's not impossible if you have a lot of equivalent professional experience. So if you don't have a master's, don't be put off by that if you've got equivalent professional experience and we, we would work with you on how you express that and how your references might express that in your application. The difference between the DTPs is we're also assessing the supervision. So your supervisors also are assessed for a smaller amount of the marks. Most of the marks are on the proposal and the training and research environment is also assessed. And in return for that, you get everything that you would have with, a, with an Ulster studentship um, or with self-funding at Ulster, but you also have access to additional training through the consortium. There are a couple of conferences every year. Uh, we lay on quite a lot of training opportunities Researchers can also suggest training or have identified um, key speakers or key aspects of the development that they would like us to organise training on. And there's, there's a greater amount of research training support grant available to you, up to about £6,000 plus half of the Ulster RTSG. So you get the best of both worlds, um, but it is very competitive. We have had success in law. So Rory has... Uh, taking a few people through this process successfully so we can do it it is doable um, first year PhD researchers who are already studying at Ulster can also apply um, in their first year they can't apply after first year um, and we expect then to see about three months of full-time work and training evident in the application so you're not assessed as, as exactly the same as someone applying fresh because you've had from September to January to work on the project um, but that really only is three months of extra work. Um, so that can also be something you consider. Um, and you can study full-time or part-time. And we also have the flexibility to switch back and forth. So some you know, things can happen in life, especially in three or four years of study. Um, you can switch to part-time if you've started full-time and the other way around. You can't switch back and forth, you know, two or three times a year, but you can switch from part-time to full-time. And we're also flexible to it not having to be 0.5. You can actually be 0.6 or 0.4 um, if that works. Usually this is to fit in with either family commitments or other, work, other employment. So we're very flexible in that regard. And this year we also have two new awards that are um, particularly looking at EDI. Particularly, the, the criteria are the same. It's not giving 
anything anything to any of the lesser candidate, but we're particularly keeping an eye on how we assess EDI and making sure that that is a transparent part of our process. And I believe nine have the same. They also have some EDI studentships. Um, and we're particularly welcoming, of course, especially in law, of projects that might have an EDI or a quality aspect to them. So I've tried to capture in one slide everything that I thought were the key points. We have got 67 studentships, which is, is huge. They are very competitive. The, the main criteria is quality. They're not allocated to subjects or to universities. Um, and there's a lot more information on the Northern Bridge website. And there's a lot of guidance on how to fill in the form. The word counts are very challenging, but having written some of these before, Rory and I and other colleagues will help you with, with making sure that you say all the important things that you need to say in the quite demanding word counts. And you, do, you don't get interviewed, but you do have two references. Collaborative doctoral awards are slightly different. In those, you have an industry partner who's going to supervise this project with you. And there are two routes to that. You can apply with your own collaborative doctoral award. I would imagine if we're sitting here in December and you haven't already set that up, that will be a challenge for the January deadline. Um, but if you're looking at next year, that might be a possibility. If any supervisors are listening, we have another route where supervisors actually write the collaborative doctoral award project with the industry partners and then we advertise that for applicants. So there's a few of those projects are currently on the Northern Bridge website, um, just looking to recruit a researcher to them. And that's a much simpler process because the project's already written. You don't have to write it. We just interview and appoint the best applicants. So you can also look at those if you're not sure what project you want to do, but you want to do a PhD. There may be some projects that have just recently been advertised on the Northern Bridge website. And there is a guaranteed studentship for those projects because it's already been through that process. So Rory, have I left anything out? I've talked really quickly because I know I only had five minutes. <laughs> yes, there... no, no, it's very comprehensive. Are, you're sticking um, around for a wee while, Karen? Yeah, is there any question? Anybody contacts me afterwards, we're, we're here to read drafts, help you with them. Um, if anybody's interested, contact me afterwards. I'm, I'm on the Belfast campus. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Karen. Um, that's great. And as, as Karen indicated, we also have for Economic and Social Research Council, nine DTP. Uh, so the process and the opportunities are similar, but uh, certainly don't put in two identical applications if you are thinking about applying for both. And do make sure to talk with potential supervisors, uh, postgraduate tutors or research director in advance um, before submitting. Uh, why, I, I, I skipped over that quickly because I do want to give a chance to some of our colleagues who are here to speak about areas where we have particular research strengths to speak about. And I suppose one of the reasons to come to Ulster and Ulster Law is um, a very strong research culture in law but also more broadly across the university and our researchers did allude to for instance the wonderful doctoral college uh, which organizes several hundred training events every year and um, the work of the doctoral college and supervisors and phd researchers at ulster has been recognized and very uh, pleasing statistics in terms of postgraduate research student supervision uh, why law at Ulster University? Again, uh, it is the strength of our research. A PhD is, after all, a research degree. And in our most recent UK Research Excellence Framework Assessment, 
uh, you know, an impressive 82% of our research was assessed to be world leading or internationally excellent, uh, with 50% of our impact and 40% of our outputs being assessed at the highest level of world leading excellence. And we have produced um, really imaginative work, including uh, work involving film and human rights advocacy. Uh, and uh, very impactful work, including research that has shaped uh, or helped to shape the social security system in Scotland, for instance. Uh, and we have some areas of particular research strength, uh, one of which is the Transitional Justice Institute, and its director, Professor Siobhan Wills, is here. So, Siobhan. Now, if you want to turn on your camera and say a bit about TJI. Hello, everyone. Hi. Am I there? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'll just say a little bit about the TJI, Transitional uh, Justice Institute, and it looks at issues of transitional justice, as I'm sure you know, otherwise you probably wouldn't have be on this call. It's situated within the law school, and so our focus is predominantly law-related, but the TGI team is very diverse, and it includes experts from outside law, including psychology and sociology, and that gives you the opportunity to undertake a PhD that combines law with another field. Uh, looking at the law side, what areas of law do we, do we have expertise in? Uh, mainly international and regional law, including obviously its application to domestic contexts, such as, for example, the legacy of the conflict here in Northern Ireland. Um, within international law, we have expertise in international human rights law, international humanitarian law, international criminal law, feminist analysis of international law, and third world approaches to international law. And we also have expertise in regional law, with particular strengths in issues pertaining to Northern or North of Ireland, South America, and South Africa. And the opportunities include a wide range of topics, for example, peace processes, peacekeeping, memorialization of the past, especially traumatic past, conflict-related trauma, legacy crimes, for example, relating to past conflicts here in Northern Ireland or elsewhere, past dictatorships, past abuses by the state or by the church, if you're if you're aware of uh, in Ireland anyway, there is issues relating to abuses by the church, um, refugees, migration, asylum law, economic, social, and cultural rights. We have quite strong expertise in the right to health. Um, Claire, um, who is new to the TJI and is brilliant, wonderful, has very strong expertise in right to health, use of force, use of film as a research mode, and. Uh, in my view, we're a pretty good team. We have an excellent head of school in Esther McGuinness and an excellent research director in Rory. And that provides, I think, the base, scaffold, whatever word you want to choose, for a very strong sense of collegiality within the TJI amongst staff and the PhD community. And I think that's very important for your experience here as uh, if you come to do a PhD, because the PhD is a long and lonely road, um, and it's it's important to feel that you belong to a community that you can call on um, within, obviously, to be uh, to have a good relationship with your own supervisor. But the supervisor is just the supervisor supervision team um, 
is small and to have a community that you can reach out to and feel not so alone if you want to discuss certain aspects. I know when I did my own PhD, which wasn't here, um, but it had a sense of community too, that I went to others with expertise in the field to talk about certain particular chapters that I wanted expertise on this or that, um, particularly one chapter that I wanted expertise from beyond uh, my supervision team. So I think that's very, um, it's one of our, our strengths that we, that there's a good collegiality here, uh, which isn't the case with all universities. Um, what else would I say? Um, just thinking about listening to uh, talks coming up and uh, that have come up um, in the idea that you're doing a PhD that is new and original. I think that it's, it's important to tease out what that means when you're thinking about it. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to find something that nobody else has ever written about. It's originality, in my understanding of it, is really bringing to the to the field and producing uh, a body of work that that brings your focus, your viewpoint on some aspect to to the table to the the field of research and the second part of it is a significant contribution to that field and therefore it in writing your certainly writing your phd you need some awareness of what has gone before and how your project your proposal will fit with what people have written before and either build on that or challenge it advance it in some way see a different lens through it so it's it's not necessarily that you have to go around finding something that nobody has ever written on. It's finding your voice about that and bringing your voice to the field and producing something that that makes a difference to the to everybody else's work and to the collective work of the field. Um, okay, that's that's me. Thank you, Siobhan. Uh, that's great and. So Siobhan is director of the Transitional Justice Institute. Um, we have a multiple award-winning Ulster University Law Clinic, and associated with that, we have a strong record of research in law and social justice and socio-legal research. Uh, so Professor Gronya McKeever is Professor of Law and Social Justice. Gronya, do you want to say a few words about research in this area? Yep. Hi, everyone. Uh, so. Um... Thanks for being here. I won't take up too much of your time. There's a lot that's been said already um, that applies to the research that we lead on. Um, a lot of this stems from uh, and is connected to the law clinic, but goes beyond it. So the clinic itself is part of a master's program where um, we train students to provide advice and representation at tribunal um, for employment and social security disputes and um, in court for family law disputes. And so what we're interested in there is not just the kind of the pedagogy of clinical legal education, but the application of law in real life. So the socio-legal dimension of how does law work in, in its context and what are the problems with it and how can they be addressed? So there's a lot of empirical work that's done um, through the through the clinic's um, social justice research. And by empirical work, of course, I mean, you know, finding new data, creating new data sets. And lots of innovative methods that um, that have been used to develop um, those empirical databases. So a, a lot of what Siobhan has said obviously will apply uh, in terms of the kind of community of researchers that we have, 
our research areas are slightly different, although there are some overlaps, particularly around economic and social and um, cultural rights. But we're interested in um, a kind of broad area of social justice. So it's so it's really broadly defined. And we have everything from looking at um, the rights of carers, looking at disability, looking at particular aspects of social security, looking at special educational needs, looking at devolution, the impact of um, devolution on language rights. Uh, we have human trafficking in there through one of the nine scholarships that Karen has talked about. Um, and we're interested, you know, not just in the subject area of, you know, access to justice, social justice litigants, uh, you know, how, how people interact with legal systems, how legal decisions are made, but on the methodology that you bring to that. So it's not, um, it can be a very simple um, doctrinal exposition of, you know, what are the legal issues and you can bring originality to that. But we tend to have um, a good generation of, of um, researchers who are keen to explore new methodology and what we are able to provide in supervision is a, is a research team that have um, a, a multiple, uh, a, quite a lot of experience across different um, innovative research methods. So that's always really exciting and interesting that we're supervising some, you know, unique projects that, um, you know, that, that take you places that you didn't necessarily expect to go and that you've, but you've still got the, the, the need to, pr to, to produce original and um, rigorous um, social scientific knowledge. Um, we have a small community of researchers across the law school, so they do all interact and there is a, um, a good overlap in programs. So the, um, the What's the Crack seminar series, for example, one of the PhD students that I supervise runs that and so it you know it, it goes across the piece and in terms of being able to access as Siobhan has said being able to access expertise obviously when we're you know when we're judging the applications that are there we're going to pick applications where we know we have expertise to support you and we work really closely with our PhD students I mean they really are very much part of the of our research community so we had a meeting yesterday of the social justice researchers and all our PhD researchers were there, you know, contributing the ideas and what we needed to do to develop on strategy on, you know, options for um, applying for funding, all of those things. So you become part of an academic community as, as opposed to something outside it. And one of the other things that we are particularly good at, I think, is is helping helping to guide your career. So it's not so much, you know, a kind of case of oh, you'll do this for three years and then, you know, do keep in touch. There is a very strong um, action on our part to, to look out for opportunities for you during the PhD, but also beyond them, to, you know, to direct you to postgraduate, um, postdoctoral other funding opportunities to look at where your research could go beyond the PhD. So it's not just a kind of three year contract with us and, and you're done. There is an ongoing relationship and we are really lucky that um, I mean, two of my PhD students are now two of my colleagues. Um, so so it's really it's a really kind of lovely environment to grow into and to and to create. And I've been, um, you know, I feel genuinely really lucky to have um, colleagues who I've worked with from the start of their academic careers right through to where I now defer to their expertise because, you know, they've been in this game long enough to have their own um, skill set that that I need to um, be cognizant of. So we are, um, we do work closely with the university to make sure that, that the PhD students are treated well. Um, we had a PhD student during COVID, for example, who had significant caring responsibilities for children with um, life-limiting illnesses. 
and she needed to switch to part-time study and we were able to negotiate then on her behalf with the Department for uh, the Economy to change her stipend to allow that stipend to be taken on a part-time basis. It's not normally something that happens, but we will advocate very strongly for our students and for their support. So, um, but it's because as, as I've said, we see them as very much part of our academic community and that's something that we want um, to be a thriving and enjoyable community. And, you know, aside from all of the, you know, the things that you must do, it's good crack. You know, it's a really nice, friendly environment and we do, you know, there is there is good banter and good fun and, um, you know, a nice, lovely bunch of lads. What can I say? Father Ted put it best. Um, so happy to take, I've, I've got some outstanding queries that have come to me. Apologies, I haven't been well, so I haven't been able to deal with them all. Um, but uh, happy to take any questions either today or subsequent to this, if you want to get in touch. Thank you very much, Gronya. Uh, thank you very much, Gronya and Siobhan. And at this stage, I we've talked about some of our centers of research excellence and the vibrant research communities there. I did want to ask Professor Kath Collins if you could say a bit about writing the research proposal, because as we signaled earlier, that's an especially important part of your application. Kath, over to you. And yet this is one of the key things that you need to produce if you're actually thinking of applying. So I'll just talk about that. I'll, I'll pretend this to get distracted. I promise I won't do that. So let me just um, talk about what it is we expect to see for the thing, the part of your application that's called the research proposal. There's lots of other chunks. Liam made a good point. There's lots of admin getting paperwork together. Try if you can to keep them on the separate tracks. So, you know, do a little bit every day on the admin, getting the kind of transcripts and all that. Try not to leave your proposal to the last minute. Try to be, you know, doing a little bit of work on that as well as you go, checking in with it, sharing it with people, maybe sending it to potential supervisors. Um, because it's really important part of what, the more you give us to assess and the better crafted it is, the much better chance you give yourself. And I think a proposal that fits what I'm about to sort of show you would be adaptable. And Karen made your point, it should be adaptable. It will be adaptable for anywhere you want to apply for and for any of the different schemes. But if you've got a good, coherent, solid research proposal, we know that here's someone who understands the process of doing research and of designing it and putting it together. We all know that the exact question you answer, the way you do it, it's all going to change. You said, but I don't know yet because. Okay, what you're showing is that you know how the building blocks work and that they need to fit together in a coherent order, which is not always the same order, but it gives us the chance to understand that here's a person who appreciates the process. So that's really why it's so important. And these are the things that we've identified anyway as, as what will help us to kind of help you and get the best sense of possible of what you can do. So it's not designed to be prescriptive to sort of make you put your idea into a set straight jacket that you'll never be able to escape from. It's all renegotiable, but at the moment it helps us to know that you understand what this is all about. Okay, and um, so we, you know, we as in the, the the people in the law school that will look at this and say we don't care about the admin stuff. We've got people who do and they need to. They know all about that. What we focusing on is okay who is this person as a researcher what are they interested in and, and how do they put things together so that's why these pieces here are what they are and it comes from people wanting something you know because when we didn't give people anything they were struggling to know what to tell us so these are the, the pieces um, that can go in, in, in different order around the particular thing that you want to research so some kind of preambles there about the kind of length and all that won't bore you with that but the kind of content 
you know, a tentative title for the project. We know it'll change, don't worry, but it, you know, something that makes sense. A research question, you know, what is it that we don't know? What is it that you think we will know, you will know, and the world will know at the end of your project? And making yourself turn it into a question is a really useful exercise. So kind of, well, I want to do something about Columbia. Okay, well, you know, no, that's too vague. Make a question, make a question, something you think needs to be found out about Columbia. Whatever it is, as I say, it might change, but, but formulate it as a question. Um, and, and that 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 shows, again, that you, you, you've identified something in there that's got. Um, something about, so literature review, follow what you want, something that says, I haven't just sat and thought about this, you know, over a beer, I've, I've read something. So I thought, I want to do something about Columbia, well, why? You know, what have I read about this? When I read, I've already read about it, hopefully. Go and look at what's been published, look at the most recent research, that will tell you what questions people are asking about Columbia. That will tell you what we already know about the North of Ireland and its ancestors. And show us that you know about that. So you're imagining yourself as a researcher in this issue alongside lots and lots of other people. Helps us to know that you know that other people are working on this and that you see them as, as colleagues, that you see how to place yourself in this field. You know, you know who the big names are now. This is not about just kind of trotting out the same old reference points. And you can be international, you can use global south epistemologies. We don't just want you to say, oh, I'm going to read, you know, Professor McAvoy, um, um, I'm going to read Professor O'Connell because they're from TGI and that's the people to read. No, I'm going to cite Professor McKeever because you know, she's the person on social work, but she is, she is, she definitely is. But it's about saying, I read something about this and I'm, my sense of what the questions remain to be answered is based on knowing something about what's already out there. Okay, so you're not starting from scratch. You know? Um, and that's where you can say with more confidence, not what's missing or what you can have, what you can have. Who do you see yourself sitting alongside when you research about this subject? Okay. And, and I'm surprised how often people don't do this. Part of that is telling us who you are, as in what's your discipline. So we're interdisciplinary, we really are. Lots of people say they are, we really are. But you need to know what discipline you are. So, you know, I'm trained in law, I'm also trained in social science, therefore, you know, I'm going to do a social legal study, but I'm a political scientist, I'm an anthropologist. What disciplines are you trained in? Because that affects the kind of questions we ask and the kind of questions we know how to answer. So, this is where you signal that all of that by saying I've been reading these people you know because they are the jurists who know about this and I see myself as adding this because I'm bringing anthropological perspective on everything. Methodology, um, I've been about this all day but I won't, again it's about proposing some methodology or some methodological alternatives that make sense that would fit for this kind of project. There are many different valid ways of producing knowledge about a particular subject. So in suggesting some of them, again, you're telling us that you know that those things exist and you know that some of them fit better than others. Again, you'll get more methods training, you might make different methodological choices further down the line. But what you're doing here is saying, if this were my question and this were the literature, these would be the methodological tools that I would have in my disposal. And you might say, and I would need training in this one, I would need more, I already have. I know I've used this one successfully for my dissertation, for my uh, undergrad dissertation. So you're showing us, here's the, you know, here's the wardrobe I pretend proposed to build. Here are my kind of raw materials in the literature. And here is the toolbox that I propose to apply to it, the things, the methods that I know about, the methods that I know that I will need to know about. And that's about signaling again that you know what you need to, to, to acquire and that it's viable to acquire it over the course of the project. You know, this project will require 
statistical uh, you know, uh, and unknown statistical SPSS modeling, and I'm trained in that, or I'm not, but I, I'm going to get trained in that, right? and I can see where that would fit in the program. Um, you know, if you know, why will this matter? What's the so what test? If your research has a really obvious practical application, if it has a really obvious academic application too, say that. You know, at the end of this project, I will know this. At the end of this project, we will be better placed to design a good welfare policy. You know, make a claim. It can be very short, it can be very succinct, but, but make a claim for making a difference. Um, and this feasibility point, this is again a point that people miss out because you, you're so keen on kind of just talking about, okay, what do I want to, to research? Okay, but think about all of the pieces of this proposal that's to move together. Is it feasible? Can you do this project? So remember that what we see is the project. We don't know you necessarily, we might know you, but we'll try and filter it out if we do know you because we don't want to disadvantage the people we don't yet know. So we're looking at this and saying, okay, here's a project, here's a proposal, here's some knowledge that someone is proposing to produce. They've told us how they propose to produce it. It all hangs together. We can see why it would be important for the world to know about this. But we don't know yet whether this is the researcher who can do that. So don't forget to tell us things as basic as, you know, I'm going to research on and in South Africa. Um, I'm South African national. I have contacts. I understand the culture. Or, you know, I'm going to go and research in Ukraine. I don't speak Ukrainian, but I'm going to work for an interpreter. And tell us about the fit between you and your project. So, you know, you know, I'm just coming out of undergraduate, one set of skills. I'm coming from lots and lots of practice. That's why I will have access. I'll be able to go and interview all these judicial figures because I myself am a barrister and they know me and I have them. So tell us something about you in relation to this project and how they fit together. So those are the kind of six pieces that it's worth thinking about and trying to build in yeah, um, to your research proposal. That gives us what we need to really get a good sense of what knowledge will be produced and the person who's going to produce it. So that's... Thanks very much, Kath. And um, I do know that we are at time or beyond time, so people do feel free to leave. Um, I do have a few minutes. I can certainly stick around to answer any questions. If my colleagues are available to do so. Wonderful, but of course, if you have to go off to something else, we, we all understand. And we will, we are recording this and we'll make it available afterwards. And as you'll have gathered by now, we're all very um, approachable by email or Zoom or carrier pigeon or any other means of communication. Uh, so, any um, questions on anything we've talked about? You're welcome. And um, Saul, I know you had questions about the DTPs earlier. Do you, were they answered in the presentation? Yeah. Oh, yes, they've been answered. Uh, thank you. Thanks very much. And in with great accomplishment. Thank you. Well, this will all be available, as I say, uh, as a recording afterwards. If there are no urgent questions, um, any of my colleagues like to say a last word of, oh, sorry, do we have a question?
no question, but if anybody's got any Northern Bridge questions, they can contact me or I'll meet you on the Belfast campus, no problem at all. Well, I don't think then there are any more questions. Um, so I, I think as my colleagues have said, and I think as our PhD researchers have said, um, it, the word community has come up quite a lot in the course of the afternoon. And I think we do have a really vibrant, wonderful, um, caring uh, research community uh, across our different areas of interest and different areas of activities. And I say this all the time, um, but as a research director, I work a lot with our PhD researchers and certainly nothing in my professional life gives me more pride than the opportunity to work with a really imaginative, dedicated, um, kind um, researchers. Uh, and to see their progress as um, Grania and Siobhan and others so eloquently described. Uh, so I do hope you will consider more uh, doing a PhD with us. Um, as I say, we are all very approachable, so do feel free to drop us a line if there's any question you have or any further conversation you wish to have. Uh, so thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are. Thanks, everyone. Bye.